I'd like to begin with a story this morning, and uh, a bit of a humorous story. From what I understand, it actually happened. So, husband went to the police station to report his missing wife, and uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but somebody sent this to me. And the husband said, I lost my wife. She went shopping yesterday and uh, still has not come home. And the sergeant at the police station said, what is her height? Husband said, oh, five something. Sergeant said, build. Uh, not slim, but not really fat. Sergeant, color of eyes. Husband said, well, I never noticed. Color of her hair. Well, it changes according to the season. Sergeant said, well, what was she wearing? Husband said, dress, uh, suit, blue jeans. I don't remember exactly. Uh, did she go in a car? Husband said, yes. What kind of car was it? Husband said, 2015 Corvette Stingray 3LT with a Z51 performance package. Shark gray metallic paint with a 6.2 liter V8 engine with digital, uh, inject, digital injection generating 460 horsepower, 8-speed paddle shift, automatic transmission, and a GT bucket seats. <laughs> And has a very thin scratch on the front of the door. At this point, the husband started to cry. The sergeant said, don't worry, sir. We will find your car. <laughs> None of us husbands are like that, are we? No, of course not. We're all good husbands, and we know what color our wives' eyes are, and we know what they're wearing, right? <laughs> All right, let's turn in our Bibles to turn our Bibles to First uh, Samuel. We are still on the life of David, and I think that the life of David is just such a rich, it's just such a rich uh, portion of Scripture. Do you know that David's life is one of the most detailed lives in the Old Testament that we can read of, of any biography. And so God really wants to speak to us through the life of David. And what's the story of David's life? Do you remember what it is? What's the story of David's life? If you were to choose two words that would describe the life of David, what would they be? Would they be anyone? What does David's life reveal to us? Anyone? God's love, exactly. God's loving kindness, God's grace. He's a grace man in the Old Testament. It's almost like he was in the wrong in the wrong part of the Bible. Maybe we should have seen him in the New Testament because there's so much talk about his life in the aspect of the grace of God. Yet David is in the Old Testament, and so God wants us to really understand that in the Old Testament there is an importance aspect of the grace of God. But today, there's a second word that I would like to talk about in David's life, and that's integrity. David's integrity. The word integrity is a different word than maybe morality, because righteousness and morality are two different words. Today, when a person describes a Christian or a good person, they very often will use the word moral. I like etymology. Etymology is the study of roots of words. And 
I like to, uh, I think that many beautiful meanings in a language of a word can be discovered in its roots. And if you look at a root of a word, then you can find out so much about its history and so much about where it came from and how its meaning has changed today. And the word, the word um, integrity, the root of the word in the English language is really where we get that word integer from. How many are math lovers here? How many love math? None of us. That's amazing. Oh, there's one math lover. Okay. Uh, integer. Integer is what? It's a, what is an integer? What is it? It's a number, but what kind of number? It's a... No, well, it's, it can be negative. Yeah, it can be a negative. It can be also a positive number. What kind of number is it, though? It's a Senna. whole number. There we go. Whole number. It's not a half number. It's like when you go to the store to buy eggs, you go to the store, you don't ask for 12 and a half eggs, right? You want 12 eggs. You want 12 whole eggs because half of an egg is going to be pretty gooey. Uh, and I don't, you don't even want to pay half price for that because it's integer. An integer uh, means it gives the it implies wholeness or healthiness. That there's nothing missing. There's not a chunk out of the apple when you buy it. How many of us would buy an apple that's got a bite mark in it? I mean, if we were hungry enough, I think we would. But that's a whole apple is a healthy apple. For example, in the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about perfection. It's, to, it's using this word, wholeness. There's no bite out of it. There's no, uh, how many of us have ever peeled a banana and found a big black brown spot on it? Supposedly that's supposed to be healthy for you, but my grandmother used to make banana pies out of just black, blackens bananas, and I'm still, I'm still here today. Um, but how many of us have ever bitten into a piece of fruit and found something not whole in it? And so perfection in the Bible or healing speaks of wholeness. A person is whole. They're whole. It doesn't mean that they are perfect in the sense of that they're never making mistakes, but it means that they are healed. They are whole. I was talking to someone this past week, and you know they were, they were in a church split uh, many years ago, many years ago, and they had taken the side of the critic and the, um, the uh, attacker uh, in that split of the, of, and they had taken sides and they had become in the process very injured. They had really hurt themselves during the split by complaining, criticizing and attacking uh, people. And because he did not want to be in a place where he would be, uh, on the wrong side, the side that was being accused. So he did the accusing. And this is like 10 years, 12 years later, and he is still talking about it, how right he was and what people did to him. And I can understand that people get hurt, and that's, of course, that can happen. But this man was not a whole man. And it's really affecting his ministry, and it's affecting everything that he does. It affects the way he speaks. And he's not a whole person. He needs to be healed. When a person is bitter, they are not healed. They're not a whole person. Integrity 
that comes from that word integer means a whole person. It means the character of wholeness. A whole person is going to have integrity. He's going to be sober-minded. He's going to be healthy in his thinking. He's going to help. He's going to have healthy relationships. He's going to have principles in his in his business or in his dealings in his private life. He's going to honor God. He's going to have the fear of the Lord. And when he fails, First John one nine, which is inevitable in all of our lives, we know what to do with it. We confess it to the Lord, as Pastor Tony said. We confess it, and then we rebound back into the grace of God, back into the plan of God, back into fellowship, back into the path, so that we don't get discouraged and fall to the side with, with, um, with more discouragement. Healthiness is what David was. David was a healthy person. He understood the grace of God. And, you know, over the years when we can see people grow in the grace of God and in the love of God, you can see that they begin to be sound thinkers. They begin to grow in, in the way they, they look at their life and they look at their, the way they look at their personal possessions. It's amazing that when a person gets saved and begins to discover who they are in the love of Christ, they actually begin to, stay, they begin to take stock in themselves and they begin, to, uh, they begin to treat themselves better. They begin to love themselves properly. They begin to love other people, and you begin to see that they begin to value their property more. It's very interesting, because a lot of self-help books address something that only the gospel can address, and that's the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God. Religion, just religion that is just a moralistic, legalistic religion outside of integrity and righteousness, makes people sick. It really makes them sick mentally because there's no love in that. And so David had integrity. And I just want to talk, look at a section here of his life in 1 Samuel chapter 24 that as we have seen so far that God raises David up because he was a, a, a shepherd boy that loved God in secret, understood his responsibilities and did not leave and shirk those responsibilities with his with his little shepherd, uh, with his sheepfold. And then God raised him up, and he defeated Goliath because he had the courage of the Lord. David did not fear men. We're not afraid of men today. We are not afraid of people. We, don't, we are not afraid of governments. We're not afraid of diseases. We're not afraid of a lot of things that people are afraid of today. Because the Bible tells us that if we fear the Lord, then we will be very courageous people. Because I only fear one thing in my life, and that's God. I'm not afraid of anything else because if, if, if the only great fear that I have in my life, and it's not a fear of torment, but just a respectful, loving fear, mm-hmm. is I want to I honor God with my life because in the end, when it's all said and done and there's no more heaven and no more earth, I want to be, as Joshua said, I want to be saying, me and my house, we are on the Lord's side. We want to honor God with our lives. All the rest is just... Jesus said, don't fear what they can do to their body. Don't fear that. Isaiah 8, verse 12, and I know that, I think verse 14, I think it is, do not fear what the world fears. There's a lot of fear on TV, and there's, um, we don't want to be naive, but when we live in the fear of the Lord, we're living in a, we're living in a courage and a good self-image and a confidence that can only come from that. So David here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 
is at a place where, where Saul, King Saul, has left his throne. Now remember, he's the king of nation of Israel. Can you, ima- can you imagine Saul gets so obsessed and so jealous and so, so bitter at David that God is with David and that God has left, has left blessing Saul's kingdom, that Saul leaves his throne and goes out into the desert to find David with all of his men. He leaves his throne, leaves everything there, leaves his kingdom at, Je- at jeopardy to follow David, who he's pursuing. And so David is with a group of, ragtag group of men. And it came to pass in verse 1 of chapter 24, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. That must be kind of an interesting place, the rocks of the wild goats. Probably a great place to go hiking. And he came to the shepherd coats, by the way, and where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. That's King James' way of saying that Saul went in to relieve himself in a cave to go to the bathroom. And so David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. So here David and his men are hiding in this cave from Saul's 3,000 men. It's probably just a handful of men that David had. And he's in there in the cave hiding. Then what happens? Saul comes into the cave to, to relieve himself in the same cave as his men. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of the the day of which the Lord said unto thee. And by the way, these men begin to quote something that God said to David earlier. Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hands, that thou mayest do to him as it should seem good unto thee. Then David arose, cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. So, so David sneaks up behind Saul with his knife, cuts a piece of his kingly robe off takes it and then steals away and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had he had cut off Saul's skirt and he said to his men the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master the Lord's anointed to stretch forth my hand against him seeing he's the anointed king from God amazing integrity here amazing uh, respect that David has here for the office of the king because David's heart smote him, meaning that David was convicted in his heart that he had done this. God didn't say anything to him. His men said just the opposite. Go take Saul. God has delivered him into your hands this day. But David, looking beyond Saul, looking beyond flesh and blood, looking beyond the circumstance, looking beyond the privacy of the cave where nobody would have ever known that he killed Saul, only his men who were on his side. David, his heart, convicts him. I don't know if you've ever been in this place where your enemy or, your, or a person that's really hurts you or someone that you really don't like or someone that really has it coming to them is in your power or is in a place where you can easily get back at them in a very powerful way. Or maybe a person has found, has fallen 
in a vulnerable, posi vulnerable position before you and you could really do them harm. And you have people saying to you, you know what, this guy's got it coming. Do you know his history? Like no one would be angry at you for smiting Saul. And this can actually happen to us in our life that we actually have people that God allows to come into our life that have really done us harm that we can rightfully in a moral way get back in a revengeful way. But David looks beyond himself. David looked beyond what he, he deserved. David looked beyond his victimhood. David looked beyond the difficulty. David looked beyond the whole thing, and he saw one thing. He saw God's anointed. He saw that God put Saul in that position. David saw that there's a bigger factor here than Saul and his conflict with Saul. David saw the integrity of God. He saw a man of God that was that the Spirit of God had departed from him, but he still respected him. Isn't that amazing? That's integrity. That is healthy thinking. Because Saul, David could have said, oh, I am so angry at Saul. Saul did this to me and my family. What have I ever done to him? I, want, I beat the Goliath for him. I, I, have, I have won battles for him. I have gone up to the plate and batted for Saul. I've been, I've been Saul's best man. I've been delegated by him to oversee his armies. And what have I ever done wrong to Saul? And yet David cuts the robe and he, his heart smites him. This is what we call self-correction. And this, this, is, this is healthy because when we are walking healthily with the Lord and we have a healthy walk with God, then our heart and our spirit and the word of God that's in us speaks to us without even anybody sometimes even correcting us. We may do something and it could just, it could break our heart. We could be, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And no, although nobody ever saw what I did, or maybe no one's going to ever correct me, I know that this was the Lord's anointed, and it was, it was about me when I did it, and it was not about God. And so David's heart smites him. And so what does David do? So David in verse 7, and then he goes and corrects his friends. He says to his friends, God forbid that I did this. This was wrong. And I love David's honesty. He was a weak man, but he was honest. And that's why he had the grace and the goodness of God on him, because he was a whole healthy thinker. David stayed his servants with, the, with these words in verse 7, and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. Man, I tell you, Saul was the luckiest guy to have David, wasn't he? That's amazing. I mean... We look at people like Saul today, and we can probably point them out. But there's always going to be a David. And you know what? You could be David in that person's life. And we said Thursday night that meekness is, is, meekness is when I don't use the strength that I have to be unkind or to be destructive. It means that I use the strength that I have to care and to love and to promote Christ. And so when... When David said these words in verse 8, David arose afterward and went out of the cave. So picture the scene. Saul's done with his business and he gets up, he walks out of the cave, doesn't even see David's men or David, walks out of the cave, stayed, um, and, and David goes out after Saul, exposes himself to all the 3,000 men of, 
Saul and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, like Saul's like wondering what is going on, he turns around, sees David, and he says this. He said, he said um, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. That's amazing. What a heart this guy had. He just stooped down to the ground before the king Saul. And David said to Saul, why he's on his face, behold, and I keep losing my place here. Um, does that mean the words are too small? No big lettered Bibles for me, not yet. My Lord, um, oh gosh, where am I? Verse 9. Verse 9, thank you. <laughs> Attentive audience here, thank you. Wherefore hearest thou men's words saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. He said, he said, why are you listening to people that are telling you false, falsely that I am seeking your, your hurt? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. David said, just in case you didn't notice, me and the men, me and my men, were sitting in the cave when you were by yourself in there. And some bade me to kill you. There were some of my men that said, go ahead and take his life. But my eye spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. This is why David had success in his life, because he saw things bigger than flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For you and I to have success in our life, and to, to, under, to understand the plan of God and to understand how God promotes us as believers, we have to understand God's hand is bigger than Saul. God's hand is bigger than people that really give you a hard time and that really can hurt you. And maybe you and I have been hurt in a very devastating way, even as small kids. But it's much bigger than that. And we don't, we don't minimize the pain and of things of, of, of young kids that are, that are abused when they're children. But you know something? We have to look at our life bigger than what people do to us. We have to look at it that God is in control and that God wants to take this circumstance and turn it into an amazing blessing in your life. And David said, my, because I, he said, you are the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. And at that point, he holds up the piece of the robe. <laughs> and what does Saul do at that point? I think he swallows hard, doesn't he? The blood goes to his head and where is his men at this point? Where are Saul's men? God orchestrated this event. Because David was going to show Saul something, because David is a man of integrity. For, I that I, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. God is always going to vindicate David, always, over his enemies. God will always vindicate the believer. And you know... We are living in a day and age in our country, in the United States, where many of us believe that we're entering into the initial stages of national discipline, that things are happening in our country allowed by God to bring us to a point where people begin to understand the waywardness of our nation and where our nation is going. And we don't even need to get into what's happening these days, but it's because we all see the, no we all see the news. 
but we are going to be as believers more and more hated. And I don't have a victim complex. I'm very happy and I'm very bold about my faith. And we all are like that. But do not be surprised because these days are different than the 70s, than the 60s, than the, than the 80s. These are days when we, our nation is very possibly entering into post-Christendom, meaning that our nation is becoming more and more of a secular, godless nation, and we are going to become more and more hated. Don't be surprised when you're unfairly targeted at work because you're a believer. Don't be surprised if you're unfairly targeted in, in your family because you're a believer and others are not. Maybe there are believers in your family, but they can see, like David, God's anointing on your life. And maybe that would be, in some way, antagonistic to them. But we got to look at beyond all of that and see that there, God has a bigger plan, that God has an anointing. And, and David said here, I did not, he said, he said, neither was there evil nor transgression in my, in my hand. David was being vindicated by God. God will vindicate you and I, but not on our terms. We're going to be hiding in a cave. It's going to be a circumstance where we're, it seems to be a very like sad situation. David and his men are like, they have nowhere to go, so they're hiding in a cave. All of a sudden, Saul's men walk up. King Saul walks into the cave, and then, and then God turns the whole table and, and David shows kindness and he shows restraint because of his integrity. The Lord, in verse 12, judge between me and thee. And that should be something that is part of our vocabulary in the way we deal with relationships when we disagree with people. The Lord deal with me and thee. And he also said this to Jonathan, may the Lord be between me and thee. Because when the Lord is between us in our relationships, then, then there's always resolution. It's no longer me fighting back with another person. It's no longer us duking it out to see who is right and who is wrong. It's the Lord judging between us and other people. And when we put God between us and our relationships and our closest relationships, then it's no longer us trying to win the battle. It's God. We allow God to be God. And then God begins to, as we see here, the Lord avenges thee. But my, sh my hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth forth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be, appoint, be upon thee. That's a good point that we should have in our life, that, that we would not lay our hands on people, but allow God to deal with people and pray for people. And it's very painful. We don't rejoice in people's calamity. It's very painful for us to watch how God deals with people. For after whom... In verse 14, is the king of Israel come out? And so David begins to school Saul a little bit. And I like this because God gives David a chance to talk to Saul. He says, who is the king of Israel come out? Who am I, he says? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, a flea. Now David didn't have a self-image problem, but he understands who David is in the kingdom. David was nobody. He was not king. He was not anyone else in the eyes of Saul. Who was David? He's saying to Saul, Saul, he said, let's get perspective here. I am as a dead dog. I'm just a flea. I'm to be discarded. I am not to be worried about. I am not a problem. I am not a threat to you. And so in verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 15, the Lord be 
the judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words to Saul, verse 16, Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? Wow. Saul comes back to himself. And it's really interesting how sometimes people can become zombies in their anger and zombies in their jealousy. and They become... They can become uh, like hypnotized by their anger and how kindness and restraint can bring them back to themselves. Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, and by the way, Saul's weeping here is not a a weeping of repentance. It's just a, a weeping of regrets. We've seen that happen. We've seen people weep because of their sorrow and their regret, but not because of true repentance and David and he said to David thou art more righteous than I for thou hast rewarded me good where I have rewarded thee evil and thou hast shown this day how that thou hast dealt well with me for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand thou killest me not isn't this amazing how Saul learns an amazing lesson not by force not by sword not by anything else but by kindness we can actually convert people by kindness. And for if a man, by the kindness of the Lord, by the way, not human tolerance, but God's kindness. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. Now follow this here. And now behold, I know well that thou art surely a king. Wow. Do you see that? I know well that thou shalt surely be king. Isn't it amazing that Saul here understands through the grace of God the authority of David that when you and I exercise integrity and restraint and we exercise the kindness of the Lord, not because we're moral people, but because we are people that fear the Lord, what happens? Authority. Your authority is revealed to other people. People will see it eventually. And they will say, you know what? You're more righteous than I. God's hand is on your life. And you're an amazing person. And that's not what we're looking for. But the anger of man the ve- it never works the vengeance of the Lord. Anger never does that. When, whenever we, if David got angry and dealt with Saul, then would God have had his way? We see a few chapters later that Saul dies. And we'll talk about that next week and how God promoted David to king. And we see that God deals with Saul. And he says, And the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now, in verse 21, Swear now, therefore, to me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And I like that, because Pastor Tony, I think a while ago, had, a, had the message about Mephibosheth, right? This, is the, this was the commitment that David made to Saul. <laughs> And David, in Saul's absence, makes good on that, and he shows kindness to Mephibosheth. Therefore, David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got up and went to the hold. So David is still on the run. And I just want want to finish with this, that integrity is when we function in the wholeness of the grace of God, that we can afford to exercise integrity because it may look like you're losing. When you exercise integrity and you don't 
pick up the phone when you get a bad text and, and let somebody have it, or you don't, you don't, um, you don't get, you know, you don't um, take your strength and and wail on somebody with it. But when we exercise God's um, authority and when we allow God to be God, then God will always bring about His plan and He'll always raise us up. And I just, you know, I want to finish with Psalm 15. And I just want to look at this psalm. David wrote this psalm either probably at this time or a little later when he was being um, chased by his son Absalom. David wrote this and he said, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And this psalm is about integrity. And I like this. And this is a beautiful psalm. Who shall abide in the tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Remember Lucifer said, I will... I will, uh, I will ascend the sides of the north up to the holy hill. I will be like the most high. See, the devil wants to make a Christian uh, amazing without a cross and without integrity. He wants to lift him up. And this is what the question that David asks here, I, who will abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And David gives a list of, Several things about a person that lives in integrity. I just want to point out one thing as we close. David said, he that walks uprightly. What does uprightly mean? It's one of those King James words that sometimes we just read and we just kind of fly by. And you know, it's like, okay, uprightly. What's uprightly mean? I don't know. Uprightly here in the Hebrew is a word in the Old Testament that's used over half the times that it's used. It's referring to a sacrifice. It's referring to a sacrifice that's brought to the altar. What is David saying here? He that walks like a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice in the plan of God. And we're proving the acceptable and the goodwill of God. When we walk in a, as a living sacrifice, we're going to be abiding in a place in our life of peace and just great sanctity and great joy and blessing. The blessing of the Lord in, Romans, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And that wor- he that works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Righteousness is different than morality. Again, the etymology of the word morality, do you know where that word comes from? I'm sure, I'd be, I'm sure that um, some of you that love etymology here tell me very easily. Morality actually comes from a, directly from the Latin, which is a very old word, late 1400, early 1500s, and it was it was a word that would describe manners, behavior, and the root of the word can also be found in the word the old word mood. What that means is is that morality has nothing really to do with the standard of God, but it rather is the way a person handles himself, their behavior their social status, and also has a lot to do with their moods. And so morality is not what God is looking for. We don't see the word morality in the Bible. People can pound morality and say, you have to be moral to, be, to have integrity. You have to be perfect. Morality is not the word that's used here. What the word is used here is righteousness. And what that means is, is that when we look at the life of David... David feared God. David loved God. David understood the anointing of God. And David 
lived in that, and that was righteousness. Was David perfect? No. But he was whole, he was healed, and when people did him wrong, he didn't let them, he didn't allow that to damage them. And what Diana said earlier is so true, is that we need to be healed on a daily basis, because things will happen to you that will be hurtful, <clears throat> that will be destructive. Maybe someone that's very close to you hurts you a lot. What, how do we deal with that? We can ask them to change their behavior, but really the deeper problem is, is that I need to learn how to be, I need to learn how to be from God healed at a, at a moment by moment basis, because anger is just unhealed wounds inside of a man that just blows up. And we all, all of us men deal with it, women deal with it too. When we get healed, it's just a whole other story. We can be, we can understand that it's bigger than Saul, it's bigger than that person, but it's the Lord, and I want to honor God in my life. And when we do that, God always vindicates us. Righteousness is an amazing way to live, and it's very powerful too. And I, you know, sometimes people look at your life, sometimes people look at our lives, and they say, I feel so bad for you that you're a Christian. You know, I told, we were doing outreach one time down in inner city in Philly, and I said, I said, I'm a Christian. <laughs> the guy goes, I start shaking his head, and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for you. I, I, I'm sorry to hear that, that, that you fell into those group of people, and now you're in some kind of cultic thing where you got to behave, and you can't have fun in your life. And I just laughed. I said, that is such a funny concept that you have of the Christian life. It's actually us that have a lot of fun. And it's us that have the joy in our life. It's us that have the peace at night that can laugh with our mate and have fun with our family and that, that can live with joy and confidence because righteousness, the path of the righteous in, in Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it's verse 6 or verse 7, the path of the righteous will grow brighter and brighter until that final day. Amen? Amen. So let's honor God. Let's look beyond Saul. Let's look beyond the cave. Let's look beyond what people are telling us what to do. And let's let God correct us and let's let God lead us because he's always going to vindicate us and his, and his perfect plan is going to go, go the way he wants it and he's going to promote us as we will see next week. Amen.